Well, once again, we're so thankful that we can still meet together in this kind of way. So you might be uh, getting your dinner ready or whatever you're doing at home or wherever you are. Just know that his presence is, is everywhere. It's we who get to step into his presence. And tonight I have Jonathan with me. You know, last week, Jonathan and I spoke and uh, I, I casted the vision of why we have this uh, team teaching. And a while back, I was praying about increasing our leadership base here at our church. And what that means is that we equip and build up and make more disciples so that we can take care of more people. And one of uh, the people that God put on my heart was Jonathan. And I, I, I asked Jonathan if he would uh, come on our teaching team. And so he prayed and of course he said yes. But Jonathan is going to be team teaching with me tonight. In fact, I'm going to be team teaching with him. He, I, he's going to take more of the lead uh, because he's, he, you know, he prepared a, a great message tonight and we both kind of looked at some things in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, about these two kings and we're going to be talking about that tonight. Uh, I do want to say thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for uh, shining your light. Thank you for all the, the people working out there, all of the, the medical uh, workers, all of our CMAs, our, our nurses, uh, our RNs, all of you who are on the front lines right now. And th- 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 I, I read something earlier today, and it's not to, it's not to uh, put other people down, but it, it, does, it does help us to remember the value in people that sometimes we don't spotlight in our world. And it was just a, a, a easy thing of when it came to, again, I'm not putting other people down. It, it was just a way to highlight our nurses and doctors and those who are in the medical field that we have celebrities that we hold up so high but right now, here are the heroes. And again, nothing against celebrities. We, we still love people. But it, it almost redefines. And, and even celebrities will say the same thing. They will say, these are the heroes. So if you're in the medical field, we want to applaud you. Our firefighters, our men and women who serve in our country, uh, those who serve uh, with our law enforcement. So we just want to applaud you and thank you. And even if you're at home or on the job right now, we just want to say thank you so much for being on the front lines. Uh, We so appreciate you. And uh, forgive us if it took something like this for us to really appreciate what you do. But we really do appreciate you. We're going to receive our tithes and offerings. And and for some of you, you're, you're waiting for this moment because you know that your tithes and offerings are given to God. At the same time, I know there are, there are many of you who are struggling right now. And so you might be thinking, why would you ask for people's finances right now at a time like this? Well, he, here's, here's why. God teaches us to be more like Him. So our heart here at our church is how can we give? How can we give to our community? How can we serve our community? How can we still reach out to people and do things like this? And because of your support, we're able to have the technology and the software and the platforms to accomplish things like this. So I want to say thank you for continuously giving. That's just who we are as the people of God. Once we fall in love with Christ, we become more like Him. And Jesus gave His entire life to us. So thank you for giving. Thank you for those of you who mailed in your tithes. Uh, we we uh, still have the mail system going, so you are able to mail in your tithes, which if you do that, if you write a check, then just write it out to 840 Kupulau Road here in Hila, Hawaii. And uh, of course, we'll, we'll get that situated. Uh, some of you, we use the church app, and we have that on our uh, church app as well as our uh, website. So you can give that way too. And if you are on Facebook, I believe we have a link there that will link you to our online giving. But that's just a way for us to give to God and, and for God to use our gifts to do things like this so that people can find hope in the world and find Christ and find eternal life through Jesus Christ. So thank you so much for giving. Thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for believing in God. And I truly, truly have the faith that as we go through this time together, that God will still provide and he will do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could possibly imagine or even think of. So if you're going to give right now, click on the link. Uh, and if you're going to give afterwards, go to the link. Maybe you're on your phone watching right now and 
It's hard to do. Uh, it's hard to click on the link. But uh, we still want to say to God, we believe in you. We trust you. And he says, when you give to me, I will open up the floodgates of heaven. And I will pour out, a pour out a blessing so much over you that you will not be able to contain it. So let's pray over this, this time that we get to give to God. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we get to give to you. And as we do so, we know that you're going to use the finances that we all give to you to further your kingdom. We're grateful that we have a God like you that continuously provides for us. We pray for those who right now they're struggling financially or, or maybe just lost their job or their, their hours got cut. I pray, Lord, that you would provide, that you would continue to uh, watch over them, empower them. And, and for all of us, Lord, we're thinking of ways in how we can manage our finances better with the least, with the finances that we have right now and, and do the most that we can with the least amount of finances so that we're able to uh, take care of our families. So I pray that for all of us, that we'll be wise stewards over what you give to us. But right now, we give back to you a portion of what you have already given to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, and we all said together, amen. Oh, we are going through the Bible this year, uh, journeying through the Bible. That's what this series is called. And tonight, we're going to be looking at two kings in the book of Samuel. Uh, we've been going through the first books of the Bible, and now we are at 1 Samuel. So you can grab your Bible if you don't have it already or take out the notes. And we're going to watch a little clip, a little video a clip that helps us to understand the entire book of 1 Samuel. Let's watch. The books of 1 and 2 Samuel. They're two separate books in our modern Bibles, but that division is due simply to scroll length. It was originally written as one coherent story. We're just going to cover the book of 1 Samuel in this video. So after Israel was rescued from slavery in Egypt, they made a covenant with God at Mount Sinai and eventually came into the Promised Land. And there Israel was supposed to be faithful to God and obey the covenant commands. Before the book of Samuel, judges showed how Israel failed at that task big time. It was a period of moral yeah, chaos this, this is the, and it showed Israel's need for wise, faithful yeah, leaders. The book of Samuel provides an answer to that need. The book of Samuel's story focuses on three main characters. The prophet Samuel, where the book gets its name, and then King Saul, and after that, King David. And all three of them transitioned Israel from a group of tribes ruled by judges into a unified kingdom ruled by King David in Jerusalem. And the book of Samuel has a fascinating design that weaves the story of these three characters together in four main parts. Samuel, he's the key leader and prophet in the first section of the book, but then he also plays a key role in the next section, which is Saul's story. And it's told in two movements, Saul's rise to power and then his failures. And the second part is about his downfall and his tragic death. And then the drama of Saul's demise is matched by David's exciting rise to power. And then David's story is told in two movements. First, he rides the wave of his success, followed by his own tragic failure and the slow self-destruction of his family and then his kingdom. The book concludes with an epilogue that reflects back over the whole story. So let's dive in and see how this all unfolds. Part one picks up from the chaos of the book of Judges, and we're introduced to a touching story about a woman named Hannah. And she's grieved because she has never been able to have children. And by God's grace, she finally has a son named Samuel. And in joy, she sings this amazing poem in chapter two. And the poem is all about how God opposes the proud and exalts the humble, about how despite tragedies and human evil, God is working out his purposes in history. And also it's about how God will one day raise up an anointed king for his people. Now, Hannah's poem has been placed here at the beginning of the book to introduce these key themes that we're gonna see throughout the whole story, like the next one. Samuel grows up and becomes a great prophet and leader for the people of Israel, at the same time that the Philistines rise to power as Israel's arch nemesis. And in this crucial battle, the Israelites get arrogant, and instead of praying and asking God for help, they trot out the Ark of the Covenant as this kind of magic trophy that will automatically grant them victory in battle. And so because of their arrogant presumption, God allows Israel to lose the battle and the Ark is stolen. So the Philistines, they take the ark and they place it in the temple of their god, Dagon. 
And then the God of Israel defeats the Philistines and the God Dagon without an army by sending plagues on the people. And then the Philistines don't want the ark anymore, obviously, and they send it back to Israel. And the point of this little story seems to be this. God is not Israel's trophy, and he opposes pride among the Philistines, but also among his own people. And so Israel needs to remain humble and obedient if they want to experience God's covenant blessing, which opens up into the next large section. The Israelites come to Samuel and they say, hey, we want a king like all the other nations have. Go find one for us. And so Samuel, he's kind of ticked off and he goes to consult with God. And God says, Yes, their motives are all wrong, but if a king is what they want, give them one. And so we're introduced to the figure of Saul. Now, Saul is a tragic figure because he begins full of promise. He's tall, he's good-looking, he's a perfect candidate for a king, but he has deep character flaws. He's dishonest, he lacks integrity, and he seems incapable of acknowledging his own mistakes. And so these flaws become his downfall. He wins some battles at the beginning, but his flaws run so deep, he eventually disqualifies himself by blatantly disobeying God's commands. And so the aging Samuel confronts Saul and Israel. He had warned the people that they would only benefit from a king who's humble and faithful to God. Otherwise, the kings of Israel will bring ruin. So he informs Saul that God is going to raise up a new king to replace him. And so Saul's downfall begins, as God at the same time is working behind the scenes to raise up that new king. It's an insignificant shepherd boy named David. He's the least likely candidate to be king, but the famous story of David and Goliath shows that God's choice of David is not based on his family status, but simply on his radical and humble trust in the God of Israel. And so this story embodies all of the themes of Hannah's poem. Proud Saul and Goliath are brought low, while humble David is exalted. From here, we watch Saul slowly descend into madness, while David rises to power. So David starts working for Saul as a general, and he's winning all of the battles, and he's also winning all of the fame. And so Saul gets jealous, and he starts chasing David around, hunting him, trying to kill him. David's done nothing wrong, and so David simply runs and waits in the wilderness. And here we see David's true character. He has multiple opportunities to kill Saul, but he doesn't. He simply trusts that despite Saul's evil, God will raise up a king for his people. What's interesting, too, is that many of the poems of David that you find in the book of Psalms are linked to this very period of his life, and they all express the same attitude of trust. And so this section of the book ends with Saul coming to a grisly death after losing a battle with the Philistines. First Samuel tells some of the most intricate, well-told stories you find anywhere in the Bible, and the characters Saul and David, they're portrayed very realistically. And the author's putting them forward as character studies so that you can find yourself in them. So in Saul's story, we see a warning. It's crucial that we reflect on our own character flaws and how they harm us and other people. And with God's help, we need to humble ourselves and deal with our dark side so that Saul's story doesn't become ours. David, on the other hand, is presented as an example of patience and trust in God's timing in our lives. And so he's running in the wilderness, being chased by Saul. David had every reason to think that God had abandoned him, but that's not what he thinks. And so David's story encourages us to trust that despite human evil, God is working out his purposes to oppose the proud and to exalt the humble. And that's what 1 Samuel is all about. Yeah, the reason why I really uh, I enjoy 1 Samuel and the story of King Saul and, and King David is that we can glean exactly their character flaws and their strengths because they're human. Sometimes I, I used to read this Bible and think, oh, this is like, you know, almost like a fairy tale. These guys, is this for real? He fought a, a, a giant or whatever. But, but actually, um, these are real people. Saul and David was real people, and they had real feelings, mm -hmm. and they had real flaws, and they had real strengths. So tonight, we're going we're gonna to analyze, and we're going to break this book down a little bit. And we're going to take a look at exactly what made the difference between King Saul and King David. 
because one was regarded highly. Mm -hmm. You know, King David was always regarded highly, even today, um, very high esteemed in the Bible and by God. Then you had Saul, who, who, who never, you know, never really got it off the ground too good, yeah. So, but anyway, this was a tumultuous time right. in, in the, in the Jewish history, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and one thing that we <clears throat> learned, when you transition from, you know, the book of Judges, and then you come into 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel begins with his birth, and his birth was a very interesting beginning, but that's where Hannah, his mother, dedicates him to the Lord, right. and that's why we have baby dedication, because we truly believe that when God blesses us with children, it's not us who own children. We don't create children, as it were. It's God who creates people. So we get to parent our children, but we dedicate our children to the Lord. We say to the Lord, we will do our very best to raise up our children in the way that they should go. And for the child, we're saying, Lord God, uh, be with our children, and at an early age, may they call upon you as Lord and Savior. This is where we get that from. It's from the first uh, chapter in First Samuel. And by the way, if you're thinking why we are this far, we're practicing social distancing. So right. six we, feet. This six is feet. more than six more feet. More than six feet, yeah. But this is, and you might be thinking, well, this is, we're going to be talking about the tale of two kings. What does this have to do with the situation that we're in? Well, think about it. You're at home probably more than ever th than you were before. So when we're not at home, we're at work or at school or doing something else and we have certain kinds of authorities. Maybe at work you're the, the uh, a manager or, or something and you have certain authorities that you carry. And at the same time, if you think about a king, every king has a kingdom. And the king's responsibility is to take care of the kingdom. The king's responsibility is to make sure he protects the kingdom. That, that he provides and, and builds an economy for the kingdom, that he makes sure there are certain laws to govern them so that they're safe, so that they're able to function as a society. So kings had, a, they had more responsibilities than just the authority and the position. They had to constantly think about the people. Well, that's where we're at right now. We're in our very own homes. That's like our kingdom right now. And now we have to think through, how are we going to do this together? Maybe you're the disciplinary one in the family. And maybe you are the one who are always with the children and you discipline them. But then your spouse comes home and now you're together, but you discipline differently. You now have two kings, as it were, trying to be authoritative in their roles as best as they can. And what we can learn from these two kings is the differences between the two. And as we go through the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, you're going to find that Samuel, he becomes a great prophet. And Hannah, his mother, knowing that if I dedicate him to the Lord, he's going to become someone great. Well, their enemies, the Philistines, rise to power and they become their enemies for a very long time. They think that the ark is their strength. So the Israelites, they cherish that. And then the Philistines think, well, if that's going to give them strength, let's let that give us strength. But then it doesn't work for them. What we find is the Israelites needed to remain humble and faithful. If you read the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, they needed to remain humble and faithful. That's kind of the theme through it. There was dishonesty. They lacked integrity. And as kings, this is who they're not supposed to be. They're supposed to be honest. They're supposed to be people with integrity. But one thing that we're going to find with these two is there's this thing called self-awareness. And in our homes right now, we need to practice self-awareness more than any other time. We're there with our family members. Some of you are taking in other people, other family members or cousins or relatives. So it's a different way of living right now. We have to think differently because of the situation that we're in. So however, however you need to uh, adjust, just think of your, your role and the, uh, the position that you're in. One of, the favorite, one of my favorite stories in here is the story of David and Goliath. Uh, David is like my, my, my Bible character. And I don't know, do you have a Bible character? Like there's a character that stands out to you in the Bible? I like David. I like yeah. Paul. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you may have a Bible character. If not, I would suggest just asking God, God, who can I relate to in the Bible? 
And if you don't know many Bible characters, uh, start reading the Bible because there are interesting characters in the Bible. And like you're saying, Jonathan, they're humans. You know, they, they go through difficulties just like you and I. But you read throughout the, the uh, book of Samuel and you see a man by the name of David who eventually becomes king but starts off early as a shepherd boy. And we're going to kind of get into that a little bit more. But throughout the entire book of Samuel, you're going to find the people wanting and trying to trust in God's promises, trying to trust in God's word and, and doing their very best to remain true to who God is. And David, had an, he had an attitude of trust. He, he did his very best to trust in the timing of God despite the human evil that was coming his way. And even in our world right now, despite what is happening, God is still working out his purposes and his promises. We can rest assured that even with David, he may have died in his weakness, but he never lost a heart for God. He still had a heart for God. And the differences between these two are the differences. Well, in order for us to really dive into the differences, let's take a look at the similarities between the two kings, Saul and David. Like in the video that we saw, the trajectory of their rise and their fall was the same thing. You know, they both started off strong with a lot of promise, a lot of potential. They both peaked, then they struggled, and they both kind of ended their, their kingdom rule uh, in not the best place. So that's, that's a similarity. Another similarity between the two kings was this. Both were chosen by God and anointed by Samuel. Both of them, both of them. The other, another similarity is they both had the Holy Spirit, even though it wasn't really mentioned uh, back in the Old Testament very much, but they both had the Holy Spirit in First, First Samuel, the book of First Samuel. And um, they both... Like I said, started out strong, but didn't finish that well. The truth is, all mankind shares some of the qualities and characteristics of both Saul and David. We have more in common than we do not have in common, you know? <laughs> and right now, in, in this time of the world, right. we were just talking, Pastor Sheldon and I earlier, is that one thing about one result or consequence or evidence of this whole coronavirus thing is, you know what, 7.2 billion mm -hmm. people on the earth right now, we all share the same common right. enemy, right. and we're all singular and focused on defeating this one enemy. All those other things, uh, you know, isms and schisms, it kind of went off the right. side right yeah. now. Right now, everybody, the whole planet earth and the people within it are unified in this one action. So those two guys had a lot in common, but it's the differences between Saul and David that makes all the difference. That's, what, that's why David was called a man after God's own heart, and Saul wasn't. So we're going to look at those things, and the first one is... Yeah, if you want to write this in, I'm not sure if the notes were working on our app, but uh, if you want to take some notes, here's difference number one, humility. There is, a, there is a, such a difference between the two when it comes to humility. If you read the life of Saul as Israel's first king and then David up and coming, just from their very beginnings, you can see the differences. And they both had the same opportunity, but yet they both had a difference in humility. In the Bible, the book of James chapter 4 verse 6 tells us that God gives us more grace. That is why the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. God shows favor to the humble. We, we are people who have been given grace by God, and it's under that grace that we can walk in humility, not use God's grace as a way to just do whatever we want, but walk in humility. For those of you who are Christians and have read the Bible, or if you have never read the Bible, and I challenge you to do so, as you read through this entire history, the Bible, you will not find not one time a proud, arrogant, or prideful individual was rescued or blessed by God. It's always, it's always the humble, the broken. Um, you know, in, in my life, and I just want to share 
personal illustration, personal testimony. There's been two times in my life where, yeah, my trajectory started off good and I fell down and I was all jammed up. And those two times, okay, God rescued me every, those two times. He rescued me in incredible ways. But it only was preceded by me humbling myself until I humbled myself and I said, Lord, you gotta, you gotta intervene. I can't do this anymore. I can't figure this thing out anymore. I need your power and your strength to intervene in my life. It was only that time that I, that I saw God's presence, that I experienced his power and Jesus became real to me. Twice that happened to me. And not once, not once did that happen to me when I'm, you know, arrogantly thinking, I got this, I got mm. this, I'm, I got this under control. You know, I can figure this out myself. No, no, it was through humility. Mm. So humility, number one difference between David and Saul was, was that factor, humility. Yeah. That's what we yeah. need right now in our homes, <laughs> right now. Oh, yeah. We need humility. It's hard. We're trying to figure things out. What are we going to do with the children? How are we going to have our alone time? And, and for some of you, you've been wondering, why am I so tired and exhausted? Nothing really has changed. Well, everything has changed. Even, as something, even something as simple as your work schedule or maybe you have an extra child at home or, or something. Like everything has changed. And if we, don't, if we don't walk in humility, which means we humble ourselves before God and say, God, in this situation that I'm in, can you teach me? Teach me how I can be more like you in every situation. It's very hard because we're learning a different lifestyle overnight. We couldn't, we couldn't prepare for something like this when it's a lifestyle shift. Now we have to change between how we feel and what we know we should be doing. What we know we should be or how we should be living as believers. So when it comes to humility, we need God's spirit. Micah uh, chapter 6 verse 8 tells us, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Here it is, to act justly and to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. That's the key factor right there. It's, you're not just walking in humility. It's not a, um, I'm going to let people walk all over my life. I'm just going to bow down to everyone. He says, no, you're walking in humility. You walk humbly with God. In other words, anything aside from God is not the kind of humility that we need. Sometimes we look at someone's life and we say, wow, that person is a real humble person. I understand that. But if you really want humility, you got to walk with God because here it is. Here's the difference. Humility is not weakness. Humility is great strength under control with God. Humility doesn't mean I'm just, I'm a weak person, so... I, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm, I'm meek, I'm humble, and I'm, going to, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just, I'm, I'm, because I'm, I'm shy. That's, that's not humility. Humility is you have great strength, but you humble yourself. You, you're able to control your strength under the mighty hand of God. That, that's, that's the difference between just being a person who is kind of to themselves and you're, you're more reserved than someone who has such strength, but it's under control because they're walking, they're walking humbly with God. And that word to, when it says, what does, the Lord, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, it means to fashion, to, to accomplish, to make. So when you act upon something, you're fashioning something, you're making it, you're, you're putting it together. So you don't, we don't just automatically are humble people. It's a, it's a, an attitude in the making. So we're going to have some pitfalls. We're going to fail at times. We're going to say some things to each other. We're going to get at each other and, and pick at each other. We're going to blame each other. We're, in, we're, we're quarantined. So now we're always around each other more than ever. So we're going to be seeing things that we normally didn't or we weren't used to. And now we're, 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 we're going to find the tension 
And how do we live with this tension? Well, that's where humility comes in. In the book of Luke, chapter 14, verse 11, tells us, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that was Jesus speaking. He knew what he was talking about when it came to humility. He humbled himself and gave his life for us. So that's difference number one. Difference number two is a pure heart. Not only do we have humility, but a pure heart. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it tells us, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance. And this is when Samuel was choosing the next king of Israel. He came to David's family. Do not consider his appearance of his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. So when Samuel went to David's family, Jesse, the father, brought out all of the, the older brothers of David, brought out all the ones that looked like they were the ones. You know, they were the big ones. They were, they were in shape. They were huge, and they were, they, were, they were handsome in stature. And so Samuel comes up, and he says, surely this has got to be the one. This is... This guarantees the one. This, this is like Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's like Dwayne Johnson. That cannot be Kevin Hart. No way it's Kevin Hart. No way. That's <laughs> impossible. That's not going to be him. <laughs> sorry, I went into his voice too. I'm going to have, have, have. So if you think about it, that's what he did. He's looking at, sorry, Kevin, if you watch this ever. Uh, but he looked at all of these brothers, and then he said, surely these are the ones. And God says, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at the outward appearance. You're supposed to, like me, Look at the inward. So here, here's what is good for all of us. We have such hope in a time like this because God is looking at our hearts. He looks at our hearts. And we're calling upon God. We're saying, God, can you help us through this season? I know you, you may have differences when it comes to, you know, uh, things that our president says and things that he does. And, and so that's, that's beside the point. Uh, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because he did say something uh, that is very controversial right now. He did say he wants to open up the country and get us to a place of operating once again by Easter. Now, as a believer, you know what Easter means. That's Resurrection Sunday. So for some people, they're on one side and saying, that would be great. What a celebration that would be. And then you have this side who is saying, wait a minute, slow down. What if, what if we aren't ready and things go bad or worse and now it's prolonged even more? The good thing is, and, and this came from the White House, is that, and the president did say, I will not, I will assess or, or see what it looks like at that time. So I think if we put aside the politics, but we bring it back to looking at how we can have that pure heart, for us as believers, the pure heart is this. Lord God, we, st we need something to hang on to, someone to hang on to which is Jesus Christ. That's who we hope in. It would be great, yes, if that came to pass, that everything would kind of start to get back to normal by Easter, but we don't hang on to the day or what the president has stated. We hang on to Christ in the hopes that that happens, in the hopes that that takes place. But any leader knows this, that in order for you to help your people, you have to give them a goal, hope, something that they can be motivated by. Now, whether you agree with the president or not, that's not what I'm here to say. What I'm here to say is we have hope in Jesus. So we stay close to him. We hope and we pray that things can get back to, not get back to normalcy, but get back to a place where we've learned through this season and that we're better through this season. That's what it looks like when we think about having this pure heart. In fact, David said in Psalm 51 verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Yeah, this is one of the uh, uh, hallmark scriptures, and dear to me too, because Psalms 51.10 really, it encapsulates David's character in his heart. It's not like he always had a perfect heart. In other words, this scripture is, Lord, no, I don't have a I get on pilau, dirty. I have lots of bad things in there. But this, this is what God saw. God saw David come every day in a humble submission to Christ and say, Lord, 
you know my heart. There's, some, there's something in there that's not good. And it's, it's affecting me. It's affecting my relationships. It's affecting uh, how I relate to people. It's affecting my, my, my joy, whatever. So, Lord, you got to create in me. you got to clean. you got to do a roto-rooter hmm. in my cardiovascular <laughs> system so that your life can flow again in and through me. Okay? So that's, that's what David did. And you know what? I'm thinking David probably did this every day because you know what, Pastor Sheldon? Hmm. I got to do this every day, even though I don't think I have to. Um, a little bit of offense left unchecked in here will eventually result in, in something bad. A, a little bit of, oh, unforgiveness in here. A little bit of, I want this, uh, uh, you know, a, a lust first, lustful thing in here. Mm. Eventually, it will come out in our actions, which leads us to the next scripture, yeah? Yeah, well... When you think about creating a, a clean heart in us, when, whenever we talk about a clean heart, um, I don't know about you, but I like preventive. Right. I don't want to wait till my heart is so clogged that now I have to do an a, a unclogging or, or something that is so drastic. Uh, that's why the Bible tells us in, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse, tw- verse 23, uh, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So if you're talking about that, that clean, clean system that it's able to flow, that's the key. It's guarding our heart. And because we're at home more often and, and we, we're going to hear things from our government, uh, things we agree with, things we disagree with, um, what's happening at the, the grocery store, and, and we have to abide by these different things. And I know we're making the best out of it. That's a great thing. We're sharing, you know, uh, videos. And we ourselves, we go on Instagram Live, and right now we're on Facebook and, and through our church app. But we're trying our very best to... to Keep things going, moving forward, so that our hearts can be guarded. Otherwise, if we let one thing come in, you're right, it starts to clog the system, and now we've become hard-heartened. And if that does happen, yes, the third thing is repentance. That's the difference. The third difference between these two was a heart that repented. In 2 Samuel, and we're going to talk about 2 Samuel next week also, but David confessed to Nathan, and this is 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. This is after David sinned badly. He took one of the women and slept with her. She was married. Uh, he had a child with her, and he even had her husband killed in battle. Uriah. The big time. This is like this is like the grand of grands, big time. And so he tried to cover it up, but once again, Nathan, the prophet, comes up to David and gives him a story and says, David. You know, here's a king who grabs this lamb from the family and kills the lamb to eat uh, rather than taking from his own flock. David, what should be done to this king? And David was like, well, you got to be kidding me. This king had it all. Why did, why did he take that family's sheep? He should have he taken one from his own. Man, that guy should die. And then Nathan said, David, you know, in this story, you're that king. And then David, his heart because he was a man after God's own heart. David says to Nathan, I have sinned. Now watch this. This is the, this is the key component. He says, I have sinned against, not, Bath, not Bathsheba, not against God's people, not against Uriah the Hittite who was Bathsheba's husband. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. The Lord, the Lord. He had sinned against the Lord. But then Nathan replies, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. That's right. Yeah, you know, where Saul was confronted by Samuel. You see, Saul, Mm. um, you know, he he was supposed to wait seven days before before Samuel would come at the battle and Samuel would... uh, light the burnt offerings. Back then, only the Levitical priests could do that, and that's Samuel. Saul was the king, but he had no authority, and it wasn't his place to offer the burnt offerings to the Lord. But Saul did. And in another instance, he kept some of the the livestock that the Lord said, you know, just wipe it all out. But he said, no, I'm going to keep some. And when Samuel confronted Saul on Mm -hmm. these issues, 
His response was so different right. from David. His response was, well, you know, I kept the best for you, Lord. And, you know, I, I waited for you, Samuel, to come, but you didn't come. So everybody's getting worried. So I figure I take the lead and do it. No, no. He made justifications and excuses for his sin. That's a major difference because you saw David. When David was confronted by Nathan, he immediately said, Oh, man, mm-hmm. I have sinned. Yeah. And then he fasted. He prayed. He had, David had to live with the consequences mm-hmm. of that sin. It doesn't er- magically, God cannot just erase something that you've done, you know, the consequences of it, but he was forgiven. But that was the big difference between the two. David knew how to repent. Mm-hmm. Saul didn't. Yeah. Saul didn't. In, in, this, in this book, Saul didn't. You know what yeah. is the, I think, when it comes to repentance, what we can learn from these two kings is as quickly as possible, because we're together more in our families, with one another, wherever you may go. You may go to the, the grocery store to grab something and someone, you know, hits your cart. They take the item that you were just about to grab. You know, anything of that nature can happen. As quickly as possible, let's repent because we don't want it to fester in our hearts and then we bring that home we want to, as best as possible, repent as quickly as possible, especially if we're in our own homes. Because tension, I mean, the tension is there. There's so many uh, voices coming into our heads right now at a point where many of us are already, we're tired of hearing the news come in. And it, it seems like there's no end to this, but there is an end. We will get there We just have to remember that we have a king who is above all kings, that even in our own homes right now, even though we may be going through what we're going through, he sees us. He knows what we're going through. He's just trying to teach us through his word how we can get better during these times and how we can help one another. And when repentance is in there, when repentance is in our heart, we're going to see God's spirit move in mighty ways in our very own families through the difficulties that we go through. Second Chronicles Chapter 7, verse 14, gives us a promise. And some of us know this promise. And if you're at home, you can say this with me. Read it together with me. Ready? Go. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Earlier, uh, I heard that Greg Laurie, uh, pastor of Harvest Church, he, um, he issued uh, almost like a challenge or kind of like a commissioning to us as believers that every day at 7.14, set your timer for 7.14, that at 7.14 in the morning, 7.14 at night, when your alarm goes off, we humble ourselves and we pray to God that God would do a miraculous thing and if, we, and, if, and if God does, you know, go through these things and, and we're able to open up by Easter, miracle. If not, we will, in, we will still call upon God and we will still pray to him. But that's something that I want to encourage you with also. Let's pray along with the entire world at 714 in the morning, 714 at night, and um, encourage one another to do that. Okay, I just wanted to leave that with you. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, the, in that same scripture, it says, those who will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And then here's the word too, mm-hmm. verb, turn from their wicked ways. Uh, for some of you guys who don't know what the word repentance means, um, I'm going to try and illustrate it. Pastor Sheldon's going to help me here. Um, Repentance means more than just asking God for forgiveness. Yes, Jesus came. He died for for you. He died for me. His blood was the sacrifice for, for us. Because of his sacrifice, we have salvation and everlasting life. Yes, we have that forgiveness. But repentance is different from just constantly sinning and constantly asking God for forgiveness. Mm. Repentance is a turn from the sin, turn from the wicked ways. Um, For example, let's say here I am. um, I am struggling with some sort of sin. It could be gossip. It could be an addiction. And I'm struggling. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. And I'm still in this place right here. But the Bible tells me to turn 
from here, turn from my sin. So I must turn away 180 degrees to the cross. I have to turn to the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay? That's repentance, is turning from here where I'm indulged, I'm tethered, I'm connected, I'm enslaved to this one particular sin that I've been struggling with my whole life. And for because we're all human, we all struggle with something. But we we need to turn from this place 180 degrees towards the cross of Jesus Christ, okay? So, then you may be saying, well, what if I blow it? You know what? I'll be the first to admit, I blown it. I blow it a lot. I jam up a lot. I fall. So, yeah, okay, I've turned from my sin. I did the 180 degree. I'm looking toward the cross. I'm walking toward the cross of Jesus Christ. But yet, ah, oh, I fall down and I sin. I sin. But you know what? That's okay because you know what? I'm falling towards the cross. I'm I'm falling towards the grace and the power of Jesus Christ. I'm falling towards my redemption and my salvation because I've turned away, I've turned my back on my sin. And even if I do fall, I'm falling towards the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, I'm going to conclude this evening with a story. This is a story. Um... And it's, it's from the book of Luke. In, you find it in Luke chapter 7. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a story about a woman, okay? First of all, let me paint the picture. Jesus comes into a town and a Pharisee, a Pharisee who is a teacher of religious law, he invites Jesus into his home for dinner one night. Okay? And so Jesus goes into the house of the Pharisee, and all of a sudden, this woman comes. This woman comes, and she has this alabaster jar, which is a jar of, of perfume, a very costly perfume. Back then, it was a year's wages. It'd be worth forty, fifty thousand dollars in today's in t- today's relativity. So, she had this expensive bottle of perfume. And what she did was, she came up to Jesus' feet. It says she bent down on her knees, and she, she was, came behind Jesus, and she started breaking the alabaster jar of perfume and nard onto the feet of Jesus, and she began weeping and crying and wiping the tears with her hair on Jesus' feet. This is what this woman did. Now, it, it comes back here, and then, the Pharisee, okay, the Pharisee is thinking in his head, man, if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what her sin was, but this is how Jesus responds. He says, then Jesus told Simon this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she washed him with her tears and wiped him with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you this, her sins, and yes, they are many, have been forgiven. So she, so she showed much love. So she has shown much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman had a face to face, actually a a face to feet encounter with Jesus. She demonstrated, she demonstrated 
the humility, the repentance, and, and the, the, the cry to God to, to create in her a new heart. And Jesus met her there. Jesus saw her heart, and she fell in love with Christ. And to this day, we talk about this woman. This woman's heart, her repentance, and her humility is what made King David one of the greatest kings of, of all of Israel. So tonight, um, let us, you guys out there, if you guys want to live a life not just ordinary but extraordinary, if you guys want to live a life uh, not like just Saul to peak and then just die out, but with, one with David, even though he had a rough time, he had many sins, he had many struggles, my gosh, you know, he was considered in Acts a man after God's own heart. If you want to live a life like that, the only way to do it is to have that encounter with Jesus as this woman did, as this woman did. So right now, let's, let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, if there is anybody out there right now in their living rooms, in their homes, wherever they may be, with their families, if there is anyone who does not yet know you, hasn't had that encounter with you like this woman did, at your feet as she wept and she wiped her tears with her hair on her feet and just loved Jesus. Pray in Jesus' name right now that you would accept him into your heart as Lord and Savior. This whole thing that's going on in this world, it may, it, this may be God's way of apexing and, and just coming to a point right here where, yes, I got your attention and now I want you to come into my kingdom. I want to have a relationship with you. But God, he's a gentleman. He won't force you. He, 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 won't, he won't beg you. But me, I can. So I beg you guys. I beg you guys. If you have never received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, humble yourself. Cry out to him and give him your heart. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much, Lord, for your endearing your, your love that never ceases never ceases to amaze your amazing love. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that even though things are dark, you shine your light in and through us all over the world, that this is one of the greatest opportunities in the history of our generation that we get to share God's love with the world. So, Lord God, we thank you, and we move aside. We humble ourselves. We turn from our wicked ways. We cry out to you. We seek you, and we pray that you would heal this land. We thank you, Lord, for your abiding love for mankind. We thank you, Lord, for your word and we thank you lord for what you are doing what you will do and what you have already done so we praise you we worship you in jesus name we pray amen